All right. Good morning, golfers. Welcome to On Par with Anthony Scorcher. Thank you for joining me on this little cooler September 25th, 2021. Pleased to have in studio my friend live from Beth Page here. We have my friend, longtime friend here, Steve Goldman. Steve, how you doing, bud? Anthony, it's great to be here. I mean, it's hard to believe it's been almost two years since we've been since since we've live been together show. doing a live show. It's, yep. uh, I am super psyched. I mean, and what a weekend! What a weekend to get started. Too. Exactly, exactly. And normally, I would have played reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> but you know, we've got, we've got more important things to do and more yes. pressing people to get it's, to. It's not about me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we're going to be talking with Golf Channel's Damon Hack, who's uh, live on the grounds at the Ryder Cup. You're listening to On Paul with Anthony Scorcia. Pete's Golf. Since 1979, Pete's Golf has been practicing the art of club fitting and has been selected as a top 100 club fitter by Golf Digest magazine. At Pete's Golf, we use the best technology available to create an exceptional fitting experience for every customer that walks into our store. Visit Pete'sGolf.com or call 516-248-6891. That's 516-248-6891 and get your next set of clubs fit for you. Golf course superintendents are the unsung heroes of our great game. Due to the game's efforts, we now have turf that needs less water, courses that are more sustainable, with many now offering natural wildlife habitats. From the days of old Tom Morris, golf course superintendents have given golfers a reason to love this great game. But don't take my word for it, Jack Nicholas agrees. If you love golf like I do, thank a golf course superintendent. A message from the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America and local superintendents everywhere. Hey everyone, this is Chris Fochel with Mizuno. There's no better feeling than having your clubs perfectly dialed in, and with over 2,000 authorized performance fitting partners nationwide, it couldn't be any easier to get custom fit using Mizuno's revolutionary Shaft Optimizer 3D. Find the right shaft and match it with any of our legendary grain flow forgings or our award-winning hot metal irons featuring high-strength chromoly. Visit MizunoGolf.com to find the nearest authorized fitter in your area, and remember, nothing feels like a Mizuno. All right, and we're back. You're listening to On Paul with Anthony Scorcher. I'm Anthony. Across from me here live in Beth Page is Steve Goldman. And on the line is Golf Channel's Damon Hack. Damon, how you doing this morning? Anthony, Steve, what's going on, guys? I wouldn't have mind a little reunited, a little pizzas and hers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who? <laughs> I mean, why, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> David, thank you so much for getting up early to talk to us this morning. I know you're busy with the production over there at, at Whistling Straits. But Is he, though? There's something going on this weekend? I don't know. There might be something going <laughs> on. I don't know. Quiet, quiet weekend in Wisconsin. Why? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Steve, uh, before we get to the Ryder Cup, I know I just, first of all, um, it might be a little belated, but welcome back to the to the Met area. I know you're probably psyched to get back and, and be back. I hope the family has been situated and, and, and settled in. I'm curious, as you upon your return to the Met area, area um how much time have you had a chance to reflect on the fact uh, the type of journalist you were when you left new york uh to the type of journalist you are as you return wow yeah that's a, a great question after that i mean I, I spent 12 years in new york my first newspaper job was with newsday covering the knicks i had patrick ewing last year i had a little spree well in houston uh wrote for the new york times wrote for sports illustrated and moved to Winter Park, Florida in 2012 to, to join Golf Channel, not knowing I'd be coming back to the Northeast. And my wife's from Bayside, Queens. Her sister lives in, in Great Neck. So for us to come back, my boys' triplets were born in Mount Sinai. So we're, we're back in an area that we absolutely love. We're now in, 
in Connecticut because Golf Channel relocated to to Stanford, and there were some sad faces in Orlando, but we weren't the sad faces. We were actually happy to come back. We, we love New York. We love Connecticut. We love the Northeast. I've got still great ties to Long Island, and I've, I've joined a golf club in Connecticut, Ascotuck Valley, uh, in Weston, so we're, we're digging in. I re, I'm still with the Met Golf Riders. I'll be going to the dinner at Wingfoot later in the fall, so you know, we, we kind of picked up right where we left off. That's awesome. I uh, Actually, you and I have a little bit of um, some connection. You were born in L.A. I went to school at Whittier uh, College oh, yeah. in L.A., and uh, we were both history majors. Um, anybody who, um, not to get on get into the Ryder Cup just yet, but I know uh, uh, something um, – uh, sparked a, the historian in me when you were talking about rugged individualism uh, on live broadcast the other night. So I knew there was something in there uh, that a little history pulling at you. So you and I have a, a little bit of a connection there. Well, I, I have family in LA. I didn't know you had spent some time out there. Yeah, it's funny. You know, people ask me, "Do you like LA better or New York?" and and I feel like I'm betraying my my West Coast roots. <laughs> but I, I've found that the East Coast has been a better fit. I think New Yorkers are. People say, are New Yorkers nice? I go, they're very nice. They're just loud. Yeah, you know, right. people think they're, they're loud and they're passionate. But I, I, I think, if, and I've told people this story, like if, if you're ever in trouble in the city, if you ever needed something, if you were lost, I, I feel like a New Yorker would be there right away to help you get back to where you were going. And I just, uh, but I did love my time in L.A. It was a great place to grow up. I'm still a, a Laker fan and a, a UCLA Bruin fan. I went to UCLA for my undergrad, Cal Berkeley for graduate school. So I still have some some wonderful friends and family out west. But but I tell you what, I, I want to finish you know my, my my years on this planet. You know where I am, enjoying the seasons uh, in the Northeast. You know enjoying some fall ball. Even though when you hit you know hit drives into the rough during the during October, it can be hard to find your golf ball. But yep. I still feel like we're in the right place to be. Yeah, no, I can totally appreciate that. I um, I was really close to staying in L.A. Um, I was going to go to grad school there uh, at Claremont, and then I at the last second I said, you know what, I think I got to get get back home. And um, and you're right, New Yorkers are uh, just loud, and uh, as a hundred percent an Italian, I'm just extra loud. Uh, so that's <laughs> so I, I have the volume turned up a little bit, but. Um, yeah, you talked about a little bit about the Met Golf Riders and and your involvement there. Uh, you, you must be excited just to be back on the in on the East Coast and being part of the Met Golf Riders um, and the golf scene here now officially uh, fully as a golf uh, uh, in the golf media scape. I guess you could say. Oh, one hundred percent. It's funny people think, oh, you moved to Florida. The golf must have been incredible. And there's a lot of golf down there, but it's not nearly to the quality of the golf in the Northeast. And, and I've been fortunate since I've been back. People have been welcoming me as a guest. They'll go play here, come play here. It's been a while since I've seen you. So to be able to, to play, you know, Quaker Ridge again and Mountain Ridge again and Liberty National again. And it's just been, it's been wonderful. I got to play National Golf Links for the first time in, in more than a decade uh, out on the East End. And it's just a to renew those acquaintances, to, to remember how wonderful these golf courses, how diverse they are, the, the quality, the championship pedigree that these golf courses have. Uh, Beth Page Black remains to me the gold standard of public golf anywhere. And I haven't played it yet since I've been back, 
Uh, it's probably best that I have it because every time I do, I, I leave bruised and scarred. <laughs> but but it but it is just such a fantastic gym, and I can't wait to get back out to, and, out and to Melville in that area. And sore also, considering <laughs> yes, considering, considering it's not an easy walk, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, our guest, of course, is co-host of Golf Today on the Golf Channel, Damon Hack. I want to piggyback on that. Do you find did you find yourself when you were living in Florida playing golf? And thinking about, because, you know, obviously people in this area, we don't need to be sold on how great the golf is. I think sometimes maybe we kind of take it for granted. So being in Florida playing, A, did you find yourself, you know, talking to other people saying, yeah, this course is great, but you got to come up to New York and play this course and that course and this course. And did you find yourself, when you were removed from it, um, how much more nostalgic you were about this area and, how about, and about how many great golf courses there are? Oh, no question about it. And I, and I enjoyed some Florida golf. I don't want to completely bag on it. It's just a different vibe. I think the golf courses in Florida are very similar. Lots of water, palm trees. There aren't that many distinctions from golf course to golf course. Now, there are a handful of absolute gems, I would say, seminal, which I was fortunate to play in Mount Lake, um, you know, Lake Wales. A string song is a new, newish facility there kind of in the mold of abandoned dunes but i just felt that day to day i really missed the the the, the, the little gems the the white gills and apawamis you know fenways i mean just just drive up the hutch and, and turn left turn right and, and wherever you look you're you're going to find a great golf course or or, or deepdale or or atlantic out east or montauk downs at the end of the world i mean you want to talk about a wonderful place that that i, I can still tell you every hole at montauk downs the routing just stays with you so yes i i feel like it's it's kind of a a tko in the seventh round when you're talking about new york <laughs> versus versus florida golf and it's a gift I just, I just never thought i'd be back in the area on a permanent basis and to be back here now and to chase the sunset with my boys who are who are 10 and who love watching the game and playing with me and we play a lot of tennis too but just to be able to experience the seasons they're more pro sports fans than college i'm more of a pro sport fan than, than college as well and you know down in florida it's all about the sec and acc and we're more about you know yankees mets jets giants and all the the passion of, of the new york sports fan I think if Montauk Downs was maybe like a half hour closer to civilization, I would appreciate it more. But I guess maybe that would lose the charm of what how great that golf course is. But it's like, you know, it takes so long to get out there and you keep dreading. It's like, man, where's this golf course? It's taking forever to get there. And then once you finally relax and you get there, it's like it's a great round of golf. And I'm like, what the heck was I complaining about? I do this. I do this again next week. Yeah, it's number one on my uh, on my. It's number one in my public golf course list. It has to Island. be. Oh, it's fantastic! Such a slice of heaven. I remember going one time. My wife went shopping uh, in the Hamptons, which, which is always dangerous. Yep. Uh, but she did. She went shopping, and I went to play Montauk. And I'll never forget. She came back behind eighteen, and there's the big flagpole there, and I. Seven hard into eighteen and two putted for par, and she's standing there waiting for me. The sun was going down. It's one of those kind of neat, you know, East End moments. And and the golf course is so underrated and so special. And man, you do have to work for it to get out there, especially if it's Friday and there's traffic. And you never know what's going to happen uh, on that long stretch once you you know get past the Lobster Shack and start making your way past Southampton <laughs> into, into Amagans, and you're just going, oh my gosh, I'm still a half hour away. <laughs> but once you get there, it truly is special.
Yeah, if it, like to Steve's point, if it was closer and it had more infrastructure, um, mm. yes, it would lose part of its charm. But it's a legit golf course that would that could host some legit med area competitions um, if they set up properly. I mean, if they can have a USGA event on Nantucket, which is the mid am this weekend, <laughs> there's no reason why they can't have something that far out east. Yeah, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to see too much built out there because I, I think the charm. Yeah. He's a yeah. big part of, of how special it is. And I haven't been there in years. I love the old kind of brownish clubhouse is still there and you're hitting yep. off mats and you know, you're, you're you know, checking in at that old shack to yep. put your yep. name in. But man, I, I just love some of those those little sweet characteristics of that special place. Yeah, you look you look up at that pyramid uh, coming down uh, <laughs> yeah. number number exactly. four, and you it looks like it was built by the Aztecs or something. But it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty pretty fun. It's a fun place. Again, number one in my list in terms of public golf. I love it. Uh, like you said, I can rem- recite every hole. Um, and it's just a, it's a fun, it's a fun escape. It's a fun experience. It's what golf's all about when you go to play that place. Don't go left on one. I, I mean, you gotta hit, block it out right as hard as you want. <laughs> Don't go left on one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, let's, let's switch gears. we got the Ryder Cup. It's just about starting for for day one. Just curious of your overall impressions from day one for the American side. Uh, pretty well done. And uh, for the Euros, they've got their work cut out. Yeah, 6-2 lead for the Americans is their largest in 46 years, which tells you how well day one went. I think they really... You know, for a couple of reasons, they, they, they've got a lot of energy from the crowd. And, you know, we're still in the earlier stages of fans returning to sports. And I think that the, the home Wisconsin crowd gave them such an advantage. They were chanting all day. Um, they were really, really in the Americans' corner. And then they really got, I think, some, some incredibly clutch performances. You know, Dustin Johnson, who didn't have a, a typical Dustin Johnson move, Paired so nicely with Colin Morikawa, you saw Tony Finau, who's this kind of understated superstar, who got his second win on the PGA Tour. You know, he was two and one in Paris. He played very well three years ago. Played very well yesterday. Bryce DeChambeau hit a 417-yard drive, which put a lot of pep into the crowd as well. And and it just looked like the Europeans were kind of shell shocked. Outside of you know, John Rahm was the only one who really seemed to to have his head in it. You know, played very well with with uh, Sergio Garcia, and they're out there again this morning, but I tell you what, for a day one, I don't think Steve Stricker could have scripted it any better for the United States. A hundred percent. I'm so glad you mentioned Tony Finau. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Tony uh, Finau, not because of the golfer he is, but because of the person he is. And I'm really happy that he's um, finding success on this, this stage, uh, like you said, the last time and now and then yesterday. Uh, he's just I like when good things happen to good people, and he's a really good guy. Um, and I'm a big fan of Tony Finau. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see him as, a, as one of the sort of uh, leaders on the team, at least performance-wise. Maybe not the emotional leader that Justin uh, Thomas is or, or doesn't have the cachet or the the you know bombing it like uh, DeChambeau, but but to me he's a quiet um, uh, a quiet leader who's sort of just there um, uh, you know stable emotionally a good person uh, he's a good he's a really good good guy and you probably know more about him than I do but by all accounts I think he's an awesome guy. Yeah, you know if I can go back to my next days for a moment, you know like a Charlie Ward, you know, he just yeah. does his job, you know, yeah. everybody can't be flashy and loud and emotional, especially in this format, lots of steady eddies, and part of the American problem in this 
event has been cohesion. And, you know, and for all the fire and, and bluster, and let's be honest, for the most part, great play from, from the likes of Patrick Reed. Um, this team wanted some Harris English personalities, wanted some Tony Fetal personalities to kind of offset a little bit of the strife that we saw from Brooks Kepka and Bryce and the Shamble. They, you know, it was very important, I think, for Steve Stricker to get some players who were not just great players, but also great people, popular guys, good in the locker room, good in the team room. And, and Tony Finau really personifies that. He's as popular a player uh, as you'll find on the PGA Tour, and I mean amongst his peers. Our guest on On Par with Anthony Scorsia's Golf Channel's Damon Hack, and I think I think it's reflective of the captain. I mean, how, how who who better to, who, I mean, who would not root for Steve Stricker? I mean, who doesn't love who doesn't love Steve Stricker? I think I think his fingerprints are all over this team with that type of personality that you said. Um, I, I want to transition over to the other captain, which is Padraig Harrington, because you know in Ryder Cup, it's a really quick event. I mean, it's such a buildup, and then three days go by in a heartbeat. And there's always the sense that between day one and day two, there's a little sense of panic from the team that's behind. You know, Rory McIlroy has never lost two, two um, matches. matches in one day. And not only did right. he lose, he didn't even get the 16 in either match. He loses five and three and four and three. Ian Poulter, who's a captain's pick, he lost five and three with McIlroy in the morning foursomes. So now this morning, there's no McIlroy and no Poulter. In any of the foursome, in any of the foursome group, I believe it's the first time McElroy's ever sat out a sat out a session. Correct. So is Padraig is Padraig panicking right now? I don't think he's panicking. Rory's not playing well, uh, and I tell you what, I, when I went on live from last night, I pointed out the fact that it was almost like a bad tone set for him right from the start. You know, Ian Coulter stripes it down the middle uh, in alternate shot. Rory has forty eight yards of flip wedge, and he hits it to thirty feet. Yeah. And I just was, it just, it, you know, if you're a Rory fan, if you're a fan of, of Rory in full flight, to me it was kind of indicative of this this latter-day Rory who's kind of been a little bit shiftless, aimless, you know, as opposed to the four-time major champ and two-time FedEx Cup champ who's been drifting a little bit in this time of his career. And I think it's kind of message that Patrick's sending. Rory's lost four straight matches dating back to Saturday afternoon in Paris. He's lost four straight matches, so uh, he's not playing well. Uh, and I think the one question I had about Europe going into this was, despite the great records of Poulter and Sergio and Westwood and Casey, those are four 40-year-olds. And, and, you know, father time is undefeated. And I wonder if the youth of the Americans, average age 29 versus 35, for Europe, if that would be a factor as well. And, you know, still a lot of golf to play. Europeans not going to get it all back today if they're going to get it all back at all. But I think that you start to see some guys who are a little long on the tooth. You know, Ian Poulter's not going to make putts in the Ryder Cup for perpetuity. And they're just trying to see that old father time, uh, you know, the, the tip, uh, tipping that weight on the scale. And, and Europe just not having the, the vigor and the quality of play to keep up with this American squad. Well, speaking of Lee Westwood and Paul Casey, yesterday in foursome, you had Westwood and Fitzpatrick in foursomes, and you had Casey and Hovland in foursomes. So this morning, he keeps Westwood and Fitzpatrick as, as a pairing, obviously, because, you know, they're both from England and they're like super best friends and everything like that. But with Casey and Hovland, he splits them up. He's got Casey playing with Terrell Hatton, and he's got Victor Hovland 
playing with Berm Wiesberger. And like I said, you know, I don't know if it's a panic move, but obviously, you know, you don't have time to money morning quarterback this. You've got to try to find whatever spark, whatever formula you're getting. And I just feel like, you know, sometimes it's change for change sake. And sometimes it's like, you know, maybe he's just trying, he's just trying something else because it obviously didn't work on, uh, on yesterday. Yeah, I think maybe he's trying to get a spark from some of the, the Ryder Cup rookies on the European side, hoping that maybe Hovland and, and Bernd Beesberger can kind of see their inner Thomas Peters from 2016, who won four, or Thomas in his Ryder Cup debut in 2018, won four points. I imagine that, that Patrick Harrington is trying not to panic, trying not to completely throw the game plan out of the window. But when you have the start that you had, when you lost, you know, down two, and already the Americans are leading the, the opening match today uh, with, with Brooks Kepka, who just looks like he's absolutely locked in. Uh, I've got to make Patrick Harrington have to struggle and wonder uh, if the plan he has unveiled is working. If you look at uh, today's matchup, if the emotional person's going to say, well, everything t- today rides on Kepka Berger versus Rom Garcia. If Rom and Garcia go down early, this is over. But th- the more, you know, maybe the more rational person or, stay, you know, steady person says, well, let's just see what the score is at the end of the day. Uh, where do you feel Patrick, uh, uh, excuse me, Harrington is, uh, Podrick's on that? Or how do you feel about that in terms of uh, that first matchup and how it sets the tone for the day? I think it's hugely important, and I think back to Tiger. You know, Tiger was the number one player in the world during his time competing in the Ryder Cup. They gave Europeans so much energy when they took him down, whether it was Monty and Westwood, um, you know, at Oakland Hills in 2004, uh, when we saw Tiger still paired together, and it just did not work out. But, you know, here's the time. 1997 at Valderrama was his first Ryder Cup, and, and Tiger was, was really beat for most of the week, and SI put a picture of Tiger on the cover, pain in Spain. You know, this was the guy who won the Masters by 12, and when Europe took him down, it gave them great energy that I think lasted for a decade or two. And, and similarly, John Rahm is the number one player in the world, though, the, really the lone bright spot at this point for Team Europe. And if the Americans beat him this morning, I think it'll be not just points on the board, for the red, white, and blue, but an emotional lift for the United States and an emotional deflation uh, for Team Europe. I think one of the big matches from yesterday, especially the four ball, was when John Rahm and Terrell Hatton won 18 to yeah. tie the match with Scotty Scheffler and Bryson DeChambeau because, you know, if they lose that, you know, now it's all of a sudden six and a half to one and a half. That's five points. You know, obviously one point, you know, on the first day, but you have to think, and, and, you know, we've seen four point comebacks before on Sunday singles. Obviously, you don't want to be down four. So you have to figure from the European side, they got to come out on the plus side today between the eight matches. They can't, they can't stay four down after uh, completion of play today, right? Well, yeah, they know that they've come back. They were down 10 6 at Medina. And at one point, they were down 10 4 uh, before some great closing play by really Luke Donald in one match. And of course, Ian Poulter, Karen, and Corey McCoy on 16, 17, and 18. Uh, but you have to think that the Americans are, are going to have their eyes wide open and they're not going to be vulnerable, I think, to a, a, a four-point uh, lead, maybe like they were nine years ago, and maybe they kind of took their foot off the gas. And I, I think they were thinking that it was over, and, and I think the Europeans got tremendous energy and tremendous lift from Ian Poulter's play. But I don't think the Europeans 
teams to fall. I think they have to close this to within maybe 9-7 to have a legitimate chance on Sunday in singles. And we've seen, for the most part, on American football, Sunday singles tends to go the American way. So I think today is hugely important for the Europeans not to get it all back, but to get within shouting distance to have a realistic chance on Sunday in the singles format. If we could extrapolate out, let's say, what started yesterday through Sunday and say the Americans win, um, and let's say they win convincingly, we had the pod system that came from uh, Paul Azinger. What do you think will be the the thing that the U.S. might adopt from the captaincy um, from Steve Stricker going forward? I tell you what, I think in a lot of ways it comes down to the change in leadership, and not only as captain, I mean, as player, I think that this is a changeover Ryder Cup for the United States. And I know Phil Nicholson is there in an assistant captain role, but I think that the voices of Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Daniel Berger and some of these, these young players, these young Americans, has kind of changed the, the vibe, the temperature, the energy around this team. I think these guys are more naturally, and I say friends, and they're legitimately friends. And I know that Brooks Koepka and Braxton don't get along, but those two guys don't need this team. Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, from listening to what Steve Stricker has had to say, are the leaders of this team. Their voices carried a lot of weight in terms of who would be added to this team and who was left home. So I think it's not so much about a pod system as much as it is about the leadership. You know, Tiger, as great as he was, and Phil, as great as he was, they, they, they were not willing to be as vulnerable in their 20s. And I mean sacrifice, leave the ego at the door as much as I think Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth are. They just seem to be kind of cut from a different cloth. They play junior golf together. Uh, they are the new voices of leadership in this team. I think as long as they are kind of the two guys mining the shop and leading the energy and leading the, 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 the conversation in the team room, that the Americans are, are, are wide awake to what the Ryder Cup means, especially to the American fan. And I think that uh, we'll continue to see some American success. Maybe not so much on the road. They haven't seemed to figure that out. Uh, but at home, you know, outside of Medina, it, it was a fantastic win at Hazeltine in 2016, a huge win at Valhalla in 2008. And I think it's more about the change in voices in the locker room as opposed to a particular pot couldn't have said it better myself. Damon, thank you so much for your time. We're just about out of time here, so I want to just appreciate just tell you we appreciate your time this morning. Um, uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar. We appreciate everything that you do for the game. Anthony, Steve, I love the conversation. Thanks for having me. Keep you up, got it. Keep up the good work. Thank you, my friend. Take care. All right, that was Damon Hack from the Golf Channel. Thank you very much for joining us for this morning. Um, always a pleasure to be uh, broadcasting live from Beth Page. And, Steve, thanks for coming in today, and uh, good to see you, pal. My pleasure. The fastest half hour in golf is, <laughs> is, now is over. in the books. <laughs> All right, folks, enjoy your day. You're listening to On Par with Anthony Scorsia.